lifepodcasts.fm. This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind. So the continent needs more people like my guest on this episode of Africa State of Mind. His life, in his own words, is a far cry from what he thought it would be and would have been many years ago when he was just an engineer working at a state-owned entity before he made the jump into entrepreneurship. Since then, he has, he has sat and still sits on numerous boards as a chairman and a board member alike, including the Mandela Institute for Development Studies. He's also the co-founder of the African Leadership Initiative, a Henry Crown Fellow. His work, in my opinion, is the intersect of what the most important aspects are of Africa's growth, of Africa's growth namely thought, leadership development and entrepreneurship. But more than anything, I believe that you measure a person's success not by what it is that they've acquired in terms of personal wealth or even personal titles, but more so what it is that they've given and how it is that their legacy lives beyond them. My guest's life work is definitely an embodiment of this, and he continues to impact the African continent and Africa for the world. Please help me welcome Mr. Ali Mufuruki. Karibu sana. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you so much for joining us. So, um, Mr. Mufuruki, I would like to know, I mean, because, you know, in the African context, there's always this idea of like being an engineer, a lawyer, and that's what makes, you know, would have made our parents happy and so forth. But when you were an engineer, what was that experience like for you and you going into it and then the decision to kind of shift gears and go into entrepreneurship? Look, I just turned 61. So, <clears throat> uh, last month. So, like many, many, many people my, my age, uh, at the time when I was making a decision uh, to go to study, uh, the decision wasn't driven by any kind of uh, professional career advice. Uh, you took the options that lay before you, uh, you probably found yourself in some secondary school that had a technical orientation mm. uh, because maybe you were good in mathematics and science subjects. Uh, and that means then uh, that you are predestined to put study sciences if you continue to do well. So when I graduated from high school, I came out top of my class <coughs> that year in science subjects, and that meant that the choices that were most obvious for me were uh, going to be of a scientific engineering nature. Mm. I didn't know what engineering meant. Uh, it was just a very fanciful word. Uh, we all wanted to be engineers, although we didn't know what working <laughs> as an engineer looked like. I grew up in a very rural environment. Uh, yes. No machinery around me, no technology, nothing. Mm. Uh, I Even the theoretical concept of engineering itself was very remote. Uh, I'm talking about... <clears throat> In uh, the uh, 80s and late, late, 70s, late 70s, we didn't have television in Tanzania. We had zero contact with technology. Yes. So <clears throat> it was just this thing. We're going to be an engineer, and uh, if you get a scholarship or if you get selected to go to university, and I, I, I managed to get a scholarship to go and study in Germany, and it was for uh, engineering. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's how I ended up becoming an engineer, basically by default, not by design, not even necessarily by aspiration. Yes. Uh, but uh, having then uh, graduated and um, uh, in, in Germany in mechanical engineering design in the mid-80s uh, and uh, managed to get uh, my first job at um, 
Daimler-Benz AG, the manufacturer of the Mercedes-Benz automobile in Germany. Uh, uh, I was now becoming uh, an engineer, a keen one, uh, interested one, uh, involved one, because I was working on real engineering work uh, and becoming very interested. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> it was also time to come home. Uh, because I had received a government scholarship, and uh, after staying in Germany for seven years, I was supposed to be looking to come home and start working in a state-owned engineering firm, uh, 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 as, uh, as was expected of me, which I did in 1987. Uh, and um, but it was a very difficult time for my country. Uh, yes. We were going through a very difficult economic situation. The economy was collapsing, uh, and, and most of the economy was run by the state at the time. That was the tail end of the failure of our socialist experiment. Uh, I landed in the state-owned company that was at the end of its rates, and uh, within a year I realized I was either going to go broke with that company or I had to do something. Yes. Uh, and it was... Um, uh, that kind of state of despair that uh, forced me to deploy myself as an entrepreneur. I wasn't born someone who wanted to become an entrepreneur. I did it out of desperation. I wanted to survive. So, so I, I used the skill set I had gained yes. over the years of learning in Germany and the few months I stayed at home mm. uh, to set up uh, uh, an IT services company. Uh, which I called Infotech uh, sometime in early 1989. Uh, that is about 18 months after I came home. Mm. And that became my first entrepreneurial venture in the rest of history. You know, I'm so fascinated by your story because I, I, I can imagine what it is like to have seen not only Tanzania, but um, Africa as a whole in 1987 and then to see where it is now, you know, because I'm sure in some degree things have grown and, you know, in leaps and bounds. So it's, it's, it's amazing. But then in, in other aspects, you know, we obviously still do have quite a far way to go, um, you know. Um, but I wanted to know with regards to just your first business, and, and actually venturing into it because now that you explain because I you know I guess the preconceived idea was kind of like if you were an engineer life was good and things were going well but when you put it in the context of what was happening in Tanzania at that particular time but now your first business and letting your parents know <laughs> this is what you were going to do you're going to become an entrepreneur because I can imagine they were kind of like well how would that even make sense or was that different because of the context was your family's response different because of the way that things were with regards to the economy in Tanzania Look, my family wasn't involved in my career decision oh, okay. I am <clears throat> I'm the oldest son in the family mm. uh, um, uh, 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 at the time uh, when I was making these decisions uh, 30 years ago both my parents were still alive my mm. father has since passed on uh, but <clears throat> uh, but uh, they they were not involved in my education. They said that they, they're not, they were not literate. My father was okay. not a literate person. He taught himself to read and write as he grew up. Uh, my mother dropped very early out of primary school. She was mostly a rural woman. Mm. Uh, and uh, mind you, even by the time I was here, coming, I was still a student uh, in Germany, uh, the 
economic relationships between myself and my parents were reversed in the sense that I was actually helping. I was helping them rather than them helping me with my legal scholarship, helping school, my siblings and the siblings and all that. Mm. So they were looking to me to make the decisions and whatever decision I made was too complex for them to even Mm. comment on. Uh, They don't understand engineering, they don't understand IT, they don't understand uh, computers. So... Uh, they just find me busy doing stuff and uh, uh, and and, uh, and 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 watching fascination or or in boredom I cannot tell how they felt. Yes. Uh, but uh, uh, and I was living in the city of uh, almost fifteen hundred kilometers away from home. Which part of Tanzania uh, were in, your parents in? Sorry, in, I was in, um, my parents were living in 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 uh, in, 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 in Bukoba, okay, okay. Uh, which is to the north uh, yes. near the Uganda border, yes, and I'm um, yes. living in Dar es Salaam, almost fifteen hundred kilometers away. So, and we see each other only occasionally. Okay. So now, yeah. so now for you, I mean, you've obviously had an amazing kind of career. And I was watching an interview where you said, and I think that I'll try and quote it as you said, you said that you felt as though um, your business success was kind of. It was more the media, media made it a lot bigger than what it was, you know, or, or what it is. It was amplified, should I say, by media. But you, your story is really inspiring. I feel not just, you know, with regards to Tanzania, but with, it, with regards to East Africa. Because when you look at the dynamics of the continent and you think of people who are doing well in, in entrepreneurship and so forth, the spotlight is not always shone upon with regards to East Africa. You know, East Africa still to a degree, and it's a gross generalization, obviously, still seems to be playing catch up with say, Nigeria, Ghana to an extent, South Africa and so forth. What are your thoughts around that? Um, and, you know, and young people within East Africa really believing in that particular region of the continent? Yeah, I'm not sure I quite understand what you're saying. But uh, if you're talking about uh, <clears throat> the perception and uh, the difference between perception and reality, yes. it's true. Uh, I don't know uh, how many people out there accurately reflected in the media in terms of uh, what is said about them and what they really are. Uh, but I've had on many occasions to uh, uh, to correct people who uh, tend to paint me out as an immensely successful, wealthy individual. Mm. Uh, I think that <clears throat> actually, if anything, I have been... Uh, very lazy at uh, deploying what could have been my potential at, me, at becoming a very wealthy person because uh, wealth in itself doesn't excite me, uh, uh, doesn't really motivate me. Uh, what motivates me uh, 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 and gives me a, a very strong sense of satisfaction is the impact I make on people and mm. things and life around me. Mm. Uh, and I found that sometimes money is not necessarily the most yes. effective tool. Uh, ideas are uh, 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 being honest with people um, uh, uh, is uh, a very a very powerful tool, uh, and, and caring and, mm. and, 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 and 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 being uh, being 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 truthful. Yes, uh, sometimes even to a point of hurting people uh, can be very useful. So. <laughs> And, and, and when I look back over the years uh, uh, at my impact and the people who gave back to me with their feedback, uh, uh, not all of them have had the most happy encounters with me, but it's always gratifying uh, for someone 20, 30 years later to come back to me and say, see, Ali, I still remember how you made me feel mm-hmm. and what you made me do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I'm so grateful. And I 
sometimes I cannot even remember these people mm. or the circumstances. And I'm saying that this is a, this is a, uh, but how, what has that got to do with what I do? Obviously, uh, being in business and having positions uh, that I have uh, gives you a certain visibility and a certain social acceptability uh, uh, and, and, and accessibility for people uh, to come to you and for you to go to them. So there is certainly uh, a wealth factor there also. Eh? Definitely. Uh, and that's why I tell people, young people in particular, that uh, whatever you do in life, if you really want to have an impact, uh, make sure first and foremost uh, 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 you secure your own financial independence mm. and financial liberation. Eh? Mm. It's extremely important. You cannot help others if you are helpless yourself. Uh, so it's very important to work hard. It's very important to, uh, uh, to, to create wealth around yourself and take care of your family. And then when you're able to do that, you're able to impact others in a positive way. Definitely. And just with regards to the impact that you've had, I believe it was, um, it's been through one of the many ways it's been through the Africa Leadership Initiative. And from what I understand, um, as a result of it, it's not just been within Tanzania or East Africa, but they're people who have ended up being cabinet ministers in Rwanda, Nigeria, social um, activists and so forth. What are you, what are your, you know, why is this important in terms of having these kind of networks within the continent? Yeah, that is probably, for me, the biggest and best accident that ever happened to me. Sometime in, yeah, in, in, in the year 2000, uh, I received an invitation from somebody I didn't know, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, an American guy who was, uh, uh, was uh, at the time the president of uh, TechnoSet, an American NGO, uh, and he was doing some project, some experiment, a pilot, Mm. Uh, he wanted to do a leadership seminar on the island of Zanzibar here in Tanzania and was looking for uh, local opinion leaders who would participate in this seminar uh, to give some kind of local flavor. Mm. And the seminar was about uh, how you build a good society, a good society uh, uh, in, in the way that societies have been built classically around the world from the days of the Roman empires to today uh, uh, through the interaction of social politics and economy and all that. <clears throat> and I was very hesitant to go because, as I said, I consider myself a technical person and engineer. Yes. This business of sitting in rooms and starting discussing philosophy and politics was not very attractive to me. Until that time, I was not much of a reader, especially of political and philosophical books. Uh, but I was curious. So I went and uh, spent a week with these people. And they happened to be people coming, uh, brought together from various parts of Africa, Mozambique, South Africa, uh, uh, you know, East Africa, but also some Americans. Mm. And uh, it became my first uh, contact with people from the African Institute in Colorado in the United States. Yes. <clears throat> uh, and then... Uh, 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 it turned out that this gentleman, Peter Riling, was actually a Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute, and mm. he was doing that as part of his community leadership project, testing a seminar format that he could use uh, to develop some kind of dialogue with African leaders. And <clears throat> I was later then that he invited to the Aspen Institute to take part in a seminar there, and that led to 
by um, naming a year later as a Henry Crown Fellow. And at the end of my Henry Crown Fellowship, which requires that uh, a participant come up with a community leadership project mm. through which they would demonstrate in practice what they have learned during the fellowship, which lasts two years. Uh, I chose a, 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 an idea of, cre- of, of creating a replication of what I have just experienced in Aspen oh, across yes. Africa. Yes, yes. I thought that, I thought that um, if the Americans, uh, this, is the, this, is the, this is the year of the dot-com bubble, <laughs> 2000. Yes. I thought if the Americans were dealing with the challenge uh, of global capitalism at the time, which was their biggest uh, uh, problem, uh, people are becoming either billionaires or losing uh, money in Spain at the time. Uh, uh, what Africa needed was, was, uh, was uh, what Africa's challenge was. This was the time at the height of the Zimbabwe problem. Uh, uh, I thought that what Africa was dealing with at the time and really needed help with uh, was the uh, leadership challenge in the face of very, very challenging mm. uh, uh, globalization uh, issues. Uh, so <clears throat> so I, I, I made a proposal and I presented my project as such that we, uh, we build an African leadership initiative uh, 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 um, uh, that would be an African version of the Henry Crown Fellowship mm. uh, that would focus on, uh, on, on Africa's challenges. And that's how we got together with four others, uh, 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 Ken Oforiata, who today is the finance minister of Ghana, yes. Isaac Chongo, oh. the business leader in South Africa, Romero mm-hmm. Rodriguez, the business leader in Mozambique, mm. uh, uh, um, uh, and, and myself. Mm. Uh, and uh, Peter Ryland, the American, and we formed the Africa Leadership Initiative. Mm-hmm. And we established hubs across East Africa, which I became head of, across West Africa, which Ken headed, South Africa, which I as a headed, and uh, Mozambique, which was headed by Romeo. And we started gathering classes of 20, uh, raised money, uh, and we took them through uh, this same fellowship, but we put together literature based on African readings, African insights, African issues, so uh, but also with some global content. Mm. And we have since established almost, uh, uh, we have since have had fellows uh, in excess of 500 across mm. uh, I, the whole of Africa in so many fields, the financial sector, telecommunications, in government, in civil society, clergy, people who have gone through this program and have been truly transformed. And they have gone on themselves uh, to do projects that are transformative in their communities uh, that have shown leadership uh, and uh, have hopefully uh, impacted positive change in their society. I'm very proud of what the work that we have done and continue to do. And next year we are going to have an impact forum in Accra. Oh, yeah. where we hope to bring together 150 of our fellows from across the world mm. uh, uh, for two days of dialogue. That's really incredible. I mean, the work that you've done is so is so important. You know, um, as I mentioned in, in the introduction, I feel as though your your work literally touches on what is going to grow the continent, you know, and it's everything from thought, because I know that you're very much about uh, thinking about things differently, investigating it, but moving from thought into action. And obviously this development of leaders across sectors is important as well as entrepreneurship. So I think it's it really is 
make sense for what it is that needs to be done differently or done more of, should I say, in order for the continent to move forward. Now, uh, Mr. Mufuruki, I wanted to know, you know, it's at this point in time, you know, it's like if you turn on any news network, you go to a conference, um, you pick up a journal or anything like that, you know, they no matter what or wherever it is that people are in the world, nobody can ignore Africa. Whether it's because yeah. of the, the la- bless you, whether it's because of the labor force, um, whether it's because of the, you know, the ideas coming out or whatever the case may be, Africa can no longer be ignored globally. Um, and, you know, there was a time and you speak quite in detail about this uh, in your TED talk where uh, this whole idea of Africa rising was actually coined from the outside in. And and I love the way that you, you really break it down about how in order for Africa to f- reach its full capacity, we need to be doing that from the inside out. Out. Would you like to expand a bit more with regards to how it is as we as Africans can see ourselves together and united from the inside out? Yeah, it's a very interesting time. It's an interesting time, especially when it comes to issues of identity, because uh, whereas it is true that Africans can only be ignored um, at their own peril, or they can allow themselves to be ignored at their own peril, mm. but it's also true. Uh, that a lot of Africans uh, don't no longer espouse a very strong African identity except where it suits them. Mm. Uh, uh, sure. Especially the young people, they would call themselves globalists. They want to, uh, to fit in everywhere. They want to migrate to everywhere. They don't feel a special responsibility for the continent. They blame the old ones for messing up and... And I wonder who's going to fix the problems that we have created. So uh, I think that it's a very challenging time, and we really need to have an intergenerational conversation mm. about what, what, how to fix this. Because yes. uh, the young people think that our generation, which I'm now part of, uh, has created all the problems and is just living behind the mess. And... Uh, when the older people don't realize they constitute a very tiny, tiny minority of the African population. Mm-hmm. Uh, mighty as they may be with their wealth and political power, uh, there isn't much value they can add to this continent apart from transferring their power to the young people yes. uh, in a responsible way. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that uh, the light hasn't gone up in most of our heads about the urgency of this particular moment. And uh, this is something that uh, really worries me. <coughs> oh, sure, definitely. And then now, um, I think it was also around six years ago where you said that um, as Africans, just to add on to this point, there was an interview where you referred to the fact that um, Africans didn't think together as one. And that was when I think the AU or the OAU, I'm not sure what it was called at that particular time, but they literally were, you know, they were celebrating 50 years of being in existence. But the whole thing was that as much as we're celebrating this, you know, in inverted commas, African unity and so forth, we were not thinking the same and we were not working together a lot more. What are your thoughts now um, when you see the free trade agreement coming in place and so forth? Do you feel as though as a continent um, from a social level, intellectual level, um, you know, just even in terms of governance and so forth, that we're thinking together as a continent to move us forward? Yeah, Africa's Achilles heel, uh, and I think one of the biggest damages we sustained from colonialism uh, is the absence of solidarity. Mm. Uh, Africans don't feel solidarity for one another. Mm. It's 
very strange that we always have to be reminded about the importance of working together for a common good. Mm -hmm. All other countries, all other people in the world, mm. they know who they are. They know each other. Mm. They naturally reach out to each other. The Europeans anywhere in the world, you see them abroad, they'll always help each other. Uh, it's Africans who have a tendency to betray each other. It's Africans who have a tendency to backstab each other, mm. both on the continent and away from the continent. And this is affecting our politics, our economics, and our co cooperation. Mm. Uh, how else do you explain the way Africans treat each other at border crossing points Terrible. and the way they treat foreigners at border, at border, at border crossing points? Yes. How do you explain that? You'll be sitting next to a European or standing next to a Italian line and they get better treatment than you do in an African country. Mm. And, and, and the officer giving that treatment thinks it's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Africans who get into legal trouble abroad, for example, uh, get abandoned by their own embassies, by their own countries. Yes. Uh, but other countries, like the United States, they have the principle of never leaving anybody behind. They are guilty yes. or not. Okay? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we have this problem that we really need to fix. And when it comes to the CFTA, most of the difficulties that we have in terms of agreeing on basic things like ratification of the treaty, like getting going with the negotiations, like agreeing on the things we don't want to agree on today, agreeing on things that we agree on, uh, 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 beginning to experiment on things that can work quickly. Yeah. If you see the hesitation with which we are dealing with this, compared with enthusiasm with which we are embracing completely foreign ideas by other people, mm. yeah? That come maybe with some money dangled to it, like whether it's EU support for the CFTA or there's American support for whatever neutralization of Chinese influence in Africa, whether it's Chinese support for Africa. We are so enthusiastic about these foreign concepts and so suspicious about our own ideas, yeah. about our own issues. Yeah. So this is a problem we have in our heads that I think we need to deal with. Definitely. And the sooner we do that, the better. Definitely. And Mr. Mufuruki, before I let you go, um, you, you, I mean, like, as we sit now, we are in what is meant to be the African century, if I'm not mistaken, you know, and before that was the Chinese century and so forth. So I guess my question to you is because nobody, just as nobody can not pay attention to what around the world, you can't ignore Africa. You also can't ignore the, the leaps and the, you know, the strides that China has had and just the impact that they've had you know um globally you you literally can't ignore them as a power what do you think that and you know what do you think it is that as a continent as the continent of africa that we can learn from the country of china with regards to impact when you see those growth what is it that we can learn in order to move forward there is a great lessons that we can learn from china and uh, the thing about china is that most of its transformative change has happened in the last 70 years so it's not a very long time ago. There is a lot of information about what has happened in China, how it has happened, the price they had to pay, and how they got here. Mm. Uh, <coughs> uh, the investments, the critical investments that they had to make as a country uh, in areas of education, for example, in areas of food security, in areas of <coughs> uh, technology, mm. uh, uh, how they have been able to uh, unify the country, mm. uh, how they have been able uh, to... Uh, to target poverty and address it and, 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 and deal with it, mm. how they've been able to coexist with the rest of the world in a very mm. hostile environment and during very challenging times. Mm. In China, 
uh, provides a very good example because of the size of its population. It's almost the size of Africa. Exactly. So, so we, we, we can learn so much from them. But I think that the Chinese have actually been very willing to show us, but we are not a very interested bunch. Uh, the Chinese <laughs> have been very interest, interested to, to show us the importance of focusing on education and being very specific, the kind of education you want. Yes. Uh, 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 not just any education. There is a specific education that the Chinese have created that has given them the power they have today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is going to be a Chinese century. It's not an African century. Sure. Uh, it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Chinese, it's going to take a lot of, a lot of effort to wrest it from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're very prepared. Because they have prepared their people. Because they have the technological advancements that they need as the tools to make them leaders of this century. You can see the Americans are getting so nervous yes. about the Chinese. Yes. And everybody is scared about the Chinese. Yes. But the Chinese have also been focused. The Chinese have avoided wars uh, during the last 70 years. They have avoided international wars, which the Americans are taking bogged down by. Uh, the Chinese have avoided uh, conflict with other countries. Uh, which I think has reduced the cost of their development uh, mm. uh, process. Definitely. So we, we, we in Africa uh, can pick quite a lot of lessons from the Chinese. Mm. Uh, and uh, we, 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 we could move faster. Uh, we have the Chinese also present us with a choice. Uh, we don't have to always lean one way or the other. We can work with the Chinese, we can work with the West, we can work with whoever wants to work with us. The most important thing is we have to know what we want as Africans. Definitely. And then, Mr. Mufuruki, what do you think it is that Africa, just in closing, can teach that the rest of the world can learn from Africa? <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I, you, know, you know probably from watching my TED Talks and other stuff that yeah. I... I, I, I tend to come across as a skeptic in terms yeah. of what we can teach others because mm. we have been uh, making so many mistakes. But mm. there are sometimes I actually feel so blessed to be African because I think that uh, I think that we Africans somebody someday is gonna discover that we are in an exceptionally resilient bunch. Mm. We have faced so much. Uh, and yet we are still here. We continue to be, I think, the single biggest race in the whole world. Yes. You think <laughs> and, <it's... laughs> and, yeah, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I don't know how many genocides have been tried, how many massacres have been tried, how many uh, medical experiment, experiments have been tried on Africans, how many wars, uh, mm. how many accidents. But we continue to be resilient. We continue to genetically evolve and mm. become even stronger. Um, and I think that there is a reason for that. Mm. Uh, maybe God is preserving us for a reason. Definitely. So uh, we should not give up on ourselves. Uh, we should uh, just seek to play a bigger role, a role that is right for us in this world. Definitely. 
Mr. Mufuriki, thank you very much uh, for spending time with us and for sharing and always be, you know, I, what I love about, uh, you know, following your work and so forth is the fact that you understand the the time that we're in. And, and I think on one hand, it's great to be excited. This is happening. Africa's rising. You know, the next big thing. Da, da, da. One in five people is going to be African. Ah, labor force. All those things are fantastic. Idea, celebration, Afrobeat is taking over. All of that is going to be important. But I think that what you, what you highlight that's very important that we need to remember, number one, as Africans, that we need to work more together and see each other as allies more than anything else. Because like you said, that is the biggest Achilles heel that we have as a continent, this lack of unity. Sometimes it's on paper, but it's not in the heart and spirit, unfortunately. And then I also think just always investigating and asking, because in in asking and in probing and in investigating, that's how it is that we're able to move forward. And then most importantly, outside of your entrepreneurship and so forth, I absolutely love the work that you're doing with regards to the development of future leaders on the continent. That, I feel, is beyond your legacy, because many people don't get to live out their lifetimes where they are able to see the impact that they that their work has done and their investment in people and your investment in different people around the continent whether it's one person 10 people 500 people it speaks um you know volumes and the entire continent is better for it so thank you very much for spending time with us thank you head to lifepodcasts.fm to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in africa state of mind subscribe to this podcast at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite podcast app subscribing to a live podcast is free